What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast. A podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas, and I've got a very special guest with me today. My guest today is Courtney Pitt. Afternoon, morning, or late afternoon. I don't know what it is right now, Courtney. How are you? I'm well, man. I think it's noon or whatever you want to call it now, but yeah, I'm very well. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Awesome, awesome. Courtney, just before we get into the thick of things, maybe just give a brief insight around who you are, what you do, and we'll go from there, man. Yes, I'm Courtney Pitt, a former player. I've played for numerous clubs over the years. Um, Portsmouth, Chelsea, signed at Chelsea when I was IT and first year pros, and then went to Portsmouth. Like a few loans at Coventry, ended up at Cambridge and York and Boston, and yeah, just had a, had a career. Then uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do at the end of time um, when it comes where you have to retire so I went into part time went working and then finally found um, coaching and now I am um, head of coaching at Burton Albion Obviously they, you, know, you mentioned that you finally found coaching you didn't really know what you wanted to do back into your journey but when, when did it start to become a reality for you obviously you know We'd assume, with in many cases, for players, the natural transition is for going from playing to coaching. Obviously, that doesn't always pan out that way. Um, where did that start to come to, you know, really be be a real thing for you? Uh, I, I was playing kind of non-league every, just having a kick about um, with a few mates, and then the manager of the team, I was like, um, asked me to help out because I was one of the older pros there and older pros, older people there, I should say, and, and they wanted me to help out. Um, so I, I, I started helping him with obviously tactics in the team and how we're going to play and, and just loved it. Um, loved how organising and, and, and seeing the team and what we worked on in training come to fruition in games and, and just having that kind of role within the team where you can shape what, how you want the team to play and what it may look like. And that's when I really thought, right, I, I enjoy doing it. So I started pursuing coaching coaching badges um i then got a, a job coaching within a school it's kind of six formers having you know the fme education with the 16 to 18 year olds at school in wolverhampton and um yeah and it progressed from there started to do more getting the bug even more started um doing more badges opportunity came on for me to kind of head a, a non-league side and managed their academy from under nines all the way up to the first team, which was which was which was awesome for me. Um, and yeah, the bug even grew more. I got to obviously form a curriculum and and really have that kind of structure in place within. It was called Paget Rangers, which is a is a, a non-league side in in, in Birmingham, um, and really um, form a kind of way of playing and a structure and. And having that scene of progression with younger players all the way through, and then the role came up when I joined the um, professional coach, professional players to coach team with the Premier League. That opportunity came up um, to um, coach within professional club, and I got the opportunity to coach at Burton. And as I said, the love, the love for it just grew, grew from there. Um, I went to uni as well, done a um, sports degree, a youth, youth sports degree. And the physical education degree, 
and it was more then when I found out that I enjoyed the psychosocial side as well, which which was which was key part of obviously progression and developing young people. No, and there's a lot in there, and I you know I want to kind of start really with you know, that that piece at the end. You know, you talk there about you really enjoy the psychosocial side, and there's a conversation we have with a lot of coaches recently around um, you know people maybe labeling themselves or identifying themselves as specialists in different areas and how we quantify that and whether that's actually something we can quantify at all so you know what for, for you then you know how would you describe yourself as a coach and how you know what would be your kind of if someone if someone was to describe right this is how courtney pitch coach uh, courtney pitt coaches and this is you know this is what he's known for what would yeah. that be it depends who does <laughs> you know it depends. I think you got you can't just leave you. I don't think you can. I think it all depends on on the the people, yeah. the circumstances. Yeah, I would like to say, I would like to say that um, I'm adaptable in, in my methods, depending on where I'm at or who I'm at or where I'm coaching. Um, I definitely like the psychosocial side of trying to make people believe they can be better and try to progress them to be better. But that has to come from them and within. We can do so much. So they have to. We have to try and form a desire and a motivation for them to self-improve. And yeah, so I think that's where where I'm at the moment. I like obviously the tactical battle and, and seeing the progress on the pitch and seeing it come to fruition and, and on match days, seeing the process of, of how we're going to play. And I'm, I get so focused on how we're going to play sometimes that I forget to score and he scores because I'm always interested in the process and, and what it may look like going forward. And the next time, has, even when we do score, what why we scored and what we could do next time to be better. So, um, yeah, that, that's the kind of thing, developing the people and, and the process. So, obviously, you mentioned, obviously, you've had an ex, ex-career as a pro, um, played for, you know, for several different clubs. You mentioned there, Portsmouth, Cambridge, York. And, you know, w- within, within that... Uh, time frame obviously you know you've, you've been playing for maybe best part of 12 13 years as a pro yeah you're now coaching and hopefully you're working with young pro you know future young pros what massive differences that you've seen from when you were coming through as a young pro to what you experienced as a pro and what it looks like now has it made you look back at some of the things that you went through and question right why the hell was that happening or maybe actually or even on the flip side of that actually thinking why are we not doing some of this anymore both, I think, is a balance of both. Some things we could take from from back when I, I was progressing and coming through to things that we should have done when I was progressing and coming through. I mean, the, the coaching itself is more detailed. I think at times there's more well-rounded coaching and coaches who want to play in a certain way that that suits the modern way of football. I think back then, obviously, it was it was different. Well, we didn't at Chelsea. It's different. We used to play three-five-two, but a lot of it was about getting it forward to the big man and little man up front. Um, which is how I obviously how I when I broke into the first team and made my debut. That's the kind of way we played. Wingers stay wide and crosses come in, which is which is different now. I think in terms of the players now and and things we could take or maybe not as well. I think players now are I don't know it's experience, but pretty much less resilient and there's not as many characters and leadership within young players now I think that's that's to do with society and probably our parenting <laughs> We're, I'm guilty of myself I don't parent the same way my, I was brought up I, I'm kind of guilty of maybe not allowing my children to go out like we did where you go on your bike and not come back for all hours with no phone and, and whatever I'll see you later I'll be back at dinner at seven that, happen, that doesn't happen anymore so I tend to try and um, um, believe or recognise that kids will be the same nowadays that they are that they were back then it's going to be different because we, we parent and, and they think differently now so just trying to adapt and probably we can prepare them better now for what it will be look like as a pro I believe and that's kind of what my role now here is trying to do trying to prepare them the best we can for life if they do progress throughout the throughout the system. It's 
quite no, it's quite interesting because obviously there's a lot of debate re- recently around you know different generations, some of some of the, the you know the, the fragilities that come with that, and you know in in both directions, I guess. But um, you know, really, you know, there's been a lot of challenge with that. You know, the young younger generation of today and whether they are mentally as strong and mentally as resilient as maybe the past generations and you know I'm not here to really discuss whether that's right or wrong or who's in the right or who's not in the wrong um but it's really interesting you mentioned it because obviously now you know you coming through as a young player yourself when you know 15 20 30 years ago has probably massively changed now what are some of the approaches that you think no they've they've had to stay consistent because I think you make a great point in terms of how people are being parented I um, make a great point in the terms of, uh, you know, recognizing that you could be out on the street, you know, certainly even as recently as, you know, when I was when I was younger and, you know, we could do that. We could go out, we could be out all day. And the only time we come in is when we want to drink or when mum calls us in for dinner. Do you sure. know what I mean? That is, that doesn't that doesn't exist anymore. Certainly not where I'm where I'm at anyway. So how do we bridge some of that back into it? Because that's 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 a massive challenge. And, yeah. The other side of it is as well, you, you know, the modern, the today's generation, the younger generation, they're very much more. And I don't want to label them specifically, but they're very much more around instant gratification. Yeah, 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 definitely. Definitely. We see that they want to be pleased and they want to please. Um, I think our job or role within the club and the coaches is probably to throw them and stretch it and challenge them at times. And maybe throw a bit of trauma in their way, um, and that you can do that in many ways. Whether it's, it's putting them on the bench at times, um, as I said, making them self-develop and self-aware of where and self-regulate of where they're at at the moment, um, have their ownership of their own development, um, yeah, and training and and matches and just different ways of how we can keep stretching and challenging them. To build that resilience and build that that um, kind of will and desire to improve, um, because we know the numbers that we know to to progress into the professional game, which is obviously where I'm at the moment. But not just not just about progressing into the professional game; it's about progressing in life in general. And we know that life can be can be tough at times. So even if they don't progress into Football and form a career within professional football. We have to, it's our job to try and prepare them for, for life and have those transformational skills to, to get them ready for next step, whatever it may be. 100%. So, obviously, you know, you've, been, you've, been at, you've been at the club for a couple of years now. Um, initially, started off in one role, you now transitioned to a head of coaching. What, what's that been like? You know, what, what are some of the different things that you've seen within that and you thought, actually, this is. Was it what you was expecting? Was it not what you was expecting? Um, yeah, it's been it's been a challenge, but I don't mind the challenge. Um, just trying to trying to find the feet. Change it always brings that kind of sense of um, nervousness and anxiety and whether you belong. Um, I think I'm I'm starting to to, to get my feet understable with the role, but new challenges come up daily, if not week, well weekly, if not daily. Um, but yeah, I, I'm enjoying the role. It's been, it's been trying to find my feet with the processes and and the the, the rules and and managing people, which I, which I have to do with the coaches and and the players, and just just as I said, um, trying to form processes that will help not just the coaches but the players and the club in the long term. So, so let's talk about that because obviously you know we're all co- you know both coaches ourselves by trade. Um, a lot of the people listening to this going to be uh, only coaches as well, but there's also going to be people that are interested in coach development. And I don't think coach development gets spoken about enough. So tell me, you know, what, what's your approach to that? What does that look like? What is it? What does it look like to actually develop a coach on the ground in 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 an in an academy environment? Well, well, what I what I try to do is not um, let them conform to to my kind of approach. Each coach. I believe has their own kind of niche and style, which makes them passionate about what they do. So if you then try and form them into a certain way or a certain style, it's probably they'll be less authentic. So it's important that they we try and enhance their style. Um, I'm in the process of trying to arrange meetings with the coaches. New the world, they've got their development action plans and trying to arrange a meeting with the coaches just to how 
they want to use me best and, and how they'd like to receive feedback and observations from me. Um, and and that, that's, I think, how I would, would, like, would like to work. Um, just because it's about them, isn't it? It's not about, it's not about me and I'm, I'm there to support the best I can. You know, it's quite, it's quite interesting because you said it's not about you, it's about them. But I think, I think for me, I think that doesn't often get talked about. And I think coach development is actually the roles and the skills and the, and, and the actual, the strengths of the coach developer themselves in that context. You know, you're, you're, you've mentioned they're very, you know, straight to the point. So how do they want to use me? How do, how do, how do they want to utilise me as a coach developer within, within their development journey? I, I, you know, what happens at that point where necessarily... They might come to you and say, right, I want help with this, Courtney. But you might be thinking, actually, that's not really a skill or strength of mine. Where, yeah. where does that journey go then? Yeah, so we, we come with the kind of have that discussion between us. And, and it's maybe not my strength, but I, I believe that um, as a coach developer and a coach, I say, you can come up with a conclusion and a, and a, and a, and a conversation of how we might want it to look or how they might want it to look for them for them me to go and help them and aid them like if they want the ob observation of a session what do they particularly want me to observe and what key skill not just a general observation of a session it's just you come up with a plan and a structured plan in the next six months next year of what that may look like and what key areas we want to go after. So I think that's important when we, we have that kind of structure. Um, and even if it's not, then we can discuss and then I'll look into it even more. And get, you know, I'm still learning as usual. So I, I wouldn't could say or perceive to them that I'm the total guru and expert of it. You know, we all still learning. So that's the kind of journey that I would say to them. And, and then we'll have that talk and compromise of, of, where, of where we want it to lead or where they want it to lead. 100%. I think you're spot on. And I, I guess the reason why I asked the question in particular was because, you know, historically what you see is when coaches are coming through their qualifications or they're going through their journeys, they're often advised to go in and observe and go and support, go and shadow and, you know, link in with uh, coaches who are more experienced. But there's there's often a lack of clarity on what that experience maybe should or could look like. Is it yeah. positive experience? Is it negative experience? Yeah. Is it experience in a particular area of the game? Is it particular, you know, particular skill sets that you might you might be looking after? So I think it's really important for us, you know, us as coach developers to recognise that actually these are my strengths. These are areas for development. So if you know, if if you if you want to come to me around my areas of development, we can have those conversations. But I'll you know I have to let you know that this isn't my this isn't my forte. If that makes yeah. sense. Um, so I think it's a really really interesting point to make as well. But let, let, let's come back let's come back to you then. You know, obviously you know you started off as a, as a, as a player. When 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 did you first realise and at, you know what, what what's the mindset going through? What are you going through in terms of a mindset as when you realise actually I might be I might be a bit different than the average kid. Uh, I, I started well school really. I've you know, it just comes to the obvious. We majority of the time I was first kick. So you know that gave me an inkling of obviously I might have something. Um, and then um, I went to Luton when I was young, was ten, eleven. Um, I actually got released by Luton when I was about eleven, which is another thing that I I I have in, in common with a lot of boys that go through the journey. You know, I've, I've up in the league myself, um, and then I played grassroots for a while, and then played county school, you know, the journey, and then I had a few offers from different clubs, and and then I thought, okay, yeah, I, I might be good, and and I always had that inner desire to be the best, and I wanted to be the best, and if I weren't the best on the pitch or in a match or in training, I would I wouldn't be happy, and I, that I, that inner belief that I should be the best. That probably that probably isn't probably was a, a, a pro and a con because I, I let emotions get better me at times when I weren't and I weren't good at hiding those emotions at times. So, um, but I always had that 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 belief that I wanted to to be to be the best and be better. Where, where do you think where do you think that comes from? Because you know, and is it something that could be taught? You know, because you often you often, you often talk about um, you know people who you know gone on to have success in, in, in whatever pathway they've, they, you know, they've kind of gone down, whether that be as players, as coaches or whatever. And it's almost like this, this innate 
insatiable desire just to be successful, or do, you know, to be to be the best, or to to achieve, or whatever that look, yeah. you know, whatever that looks like. And is that something that can be taught? Is that something that can be coached? Is that something, or is that is that is it nature versus nurture? Do you know what I mean? Is that is that yeah. age old debate, isn't it? And I'm trying yeah. to guess. I think what it's difficult. Do you think it? I think it's difficult to teach that. I think that's got to be intrinsic and come with that inner self-belief and and that inner competitiveness that you have. Um, I don't think it's any coincidence that probably the most competitive players are the ones who progress more. They don't want to lose at anything. You see, you've heard the whole adage like table tennis, tiddlywinks, whatever, they hate losing. And I was that. I was that. I hated losing at anything. Even in school, in class, I wanted to get all the marks so regardless of what it was I wanted to I wanted to always try and improve and be better um I don't know whether that was for self-adulation or, or adulation of others I'm unsure but I know I wanted to to always be maybe a bit of both I always wanted to be better um and to say if that can be taught I think to a maybe to a certain degree but not if you don't really have that real inner desire to, to improve and want to compete unsure whether that will lead you to which it might get you so far but not real to your true potential no i think i think it's quite interesting because obviously you know i'm not i'm not thinking about that and i think it's sort of right okay so young courtney pitt seven eight nine years old getting first pick um goes to luton and gets released what what does that do what does that do to a young kid who's got that desire oh, to be the best and it's normal now, it's now out of your control yeah, difficult. I stopped playing for a year. I remember I stopped for a year. Difficult. Didn't know where to go next because, you know, back then I'm going, well, go back 30 years. Now, um, there weren't really loads and loads of avenues. And, you know, you've got all the um, semi-pro academy clubs now. It was only Sunday league, really, to go to or after-school clubs. So, or school of excellence. So, it was difficult then to, to go and find another club. I didn't even know where to start, actually. Um, and it was funny that um, I was playing, I was in, in um, my house, in my grand's house, at, um, and I got a knock at the door from the local club, they had, a, they had a school, they had a game, and they wanted me to come and play in it. And then rolling after that, one of the, the boys that played for the opposition dad asked me to go and play for his Sunday team, and that's how I ended up getting scouted for Brentford because it was in Brentford, but I stopped playing. It was tough, and I didn't know my mum. I lived with my mum. He didn't really have a clue about football, you know. So, um, yeah, that ended up by chance how I managed to, to get back playing. So, you know, obviously, you, you, got, you got back playing, went into Brentford. What was the, what was the differences in terms of the environment from a, co- from a coaching perspective and a cultural and environmental perspective in terms of Luton, Brentford, and obviously then when you eventually transitioned over to Chelsea? Um, I don't think there was much difference. I think there was much. There was a little bit difference in myself. I knew kind of the expectations, and and as I said, I've already had one knockback, and I think I was determined that maybe it was physically. I've probably got a bit physically developed more than it was 13, 14, rather than 10, 11, um, and I think I was I was much sharp and able to cope with that kind of environment more. Um, and yeah, yeah, and that inner belief that that, that I, I knew that at this stage I had I had faith in my ability and, and my my powers to to affect affect games and positive and obviously I was an attacking player to score goals and create and beat people one v one and I think always being positive and 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 yeah and and I think that that's more what my experience at Luton taught me was to. to impose myself more on on training and game from that age you know just just as you're going through the through that that recollection of those times whether it be at Luton, Brentford, Chelsea I'm just now thinking didn't have the best experience at Luton obviously transitioned over to Brentford and went eventually to Chelsea what what were some of the key, you know key things that you can remember around that way that really influenced you and, and helped you kind of progress your journey beyond that now because obviously you you talked about having that innate that intrinsic motivation to want to succeed and be in, and, yeah. you know go on and achieve what you want to achieve but as you know and I'm sure you'll agree 
it's never it's never a journey that you do alone. No. There's people that are going to be part of that journey along the way, whether it's little nuggets, yeah. whether it's big influences or small, small little influences that have the biggest of impact. Yeah. Um, I remember a game in particular where I played against a right back. I played against Chris Patis when I was first year at, at, um, at Chelsea. I played against a right back. And I remember my youth team manager, Jim, Jim Duffy at the time, digging me out after digging me out, saying it looked like I was scared. I almost was running on the other side of the pitch to uh, get away from him. Um, and I still admit now that I took that home thing, I can't have that. Can't have that. And I think that was a turning point in my, in, and that's obviously I 16 then. And that, but previously I played with the reserves from 15 and I played in the youth team before, but that, I don't know why that, Stuck in my memory of, of just that particular game, but I can't have that. So that that I would I never forgot that, and that made me believe that I can't be scared. I can't. I've got to show that aggression. Cause it's not just about ability on the board. It's about what you feel and how you how you're perceived by your coach. And and um, yeah, that was a huge shame. And and I think just the the the, the scholarship program for me as well was was a challenge uh, i lived at home i had to catch free trains to get to you know, the train every day i was leaving at seven obviously doing jobs getting home sometimes at 10 o'clock i mean i done it at chelsea and, and they used to have double sessions but we had to do all the kids wait for it to dry set out again so if the first is done a double session <laughs> we had to wait for them to come back and they, the worst thing is that they used to we had a hotel because we used to train Harlan and he's there so they used to go for sleep in between training so they used to come back at like four o'clock and not finish till six or six and I remember watching these senders in the in the kit room waiting for the washing machine to dry for the dry strike before we can lay out the kit lay out the kit because some of them used to come back early in the morning and they wanted to go to the gym at eight o'clock so we had to make sure it was all ready and I think those kind of experiences hoovering making sure your pros looked after learning off the pros and if you're doing it wrong they're letting you know you're doing it wrong mm. um i think those kind of process make you grow up quickly and realize obviously it's not just about football it's about i think it's a great point uh, you know it's often something that's discussed a lot are we making things too easy for these kids do we give them too much too soon uh, uh, you know forget about the financial side of things just in the, just in terms of just doing everything for them and not not yeah. really Letting them take real ownership and accountability for their own their own processes and their own development in that respect. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I think it's key. I think I, I think it's a balance again. It's a balance again. You can't go too far where they're feeling like um, too degraded in in the they are still footballers and they're still part of the club. Um, but I think that they you're right. They still have to earn those stripes as you would do in an apprenticeship. Um, and, but it's how you go about it and how you form that that um, development for them. Because as I said, they're still kids, they're still kids, they're still 16, 17 years old, they're still growing, they're still learning. It's just how we support them through that journey rather than saying, you sure you need to do this and then being off on top of them all the time. We can make that life and that journey a bit easier for them in that transition because it is a transition. Um, yeah, but they still a place for for them to earn their stripes and do their do their their um the hard work before they get that reward because even if you when you make your your pro and you get into the first team if you're if you're lucky enough to sustain it is tough so we we need to um in, implement that desire to to self develop and and keep working that's hopefully what what we can do not just as a scholarship but before they get scholarship so my job and uh, the rest of our coaches job is to try and prepare prepare them for that stage you know just just to build on that then you know you we talk a lot about nowadays around player ownership play you know players taking accountability and responsibility for the you know for their own kind of development as as best as we can allow them to anyway an interesting conversation I had the other day was around the idea of right. Well, where does it stop? Because there seems to be a trend where player ownership is massive in the younger age groups. 
get to you know your foundation phase or kind of up till about under 13s 14s 15s player ownership is massive but as soon as you go to under 16 there seems to be a massive shift in terms of how coaches really interact with players from that point onwards now i get that obviously they're getting to closer towards a professional game yeah um, there's going to be a change of, you know, demands and, and, you know, requirements for the players themselves. And obviously that, that in turn will be accompanied by a different type of approach as a coach. What are your thoughts on that? You know, where do you sit on that? Do you think, do you think that maybe there's almost like a, yeah, player ownership up to this age and boom, now it's not long yeah. it's all about command now. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think I, there's I still... there's enough of a transition. No, there isn't. There isn't. And that's, that's where... Well, I believe there isn't. I'm not. That's not gospel. But I may, maybe we need to we need to still help them with their development because I, I, I had a, a, a done a, a study and a research the other day, the other day recently about the transition from part time to full time football, and it's not just part time to full time. They're gone leaving school. They're now having to. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Suddenly they're training on their own. They have to now own a few things and not just that. They've got work and they've got to deal with finances now. Um, how are they going to get to, to training and back? Less sleep and longer hours. Um... So it's a huge transition for them initially, and it's a shock. Shock. I mean, saying that I I didn't handle it well myself when I done that transition. I mean, I st- I said I won't go, but I stopped for two weeks. So this is not what I signed up for. Not knowing, being naive to what the process and what it really looks like. Um. So yeah, we as I said, um, which we to be fair, we we're pretty good at it where we're at here now. Um, just trying to support them with that transition is important. And then as you as you gradually get older, I know you're talking about after scholarships, first year pros, second year pros still need that development. Their development doesn't stop. Still need that that gap and that why the pro, I suppose the 21s and you're trying to balance with the old reserves and all that kind of debate will happen. But they still need that development. And it might take some quicker or longer than others because people develop at different ages and different stages. So it's the weather and well, coaches have recognised when to rein them in and when to loosen up the terrains a bit. And then that's a, that's a who knows, because that's the key mm-hmm. in itself. 100%. And obviously you mentioned there about having a first-year pro, second-year pros, and obviously there's been a lot of debate over the last, last few years in particular around, uh, you know, the under-23s kind of, Age age group and whether they're actually serving its purpose and whether it's actually more benefits to possibly having a a, a B team or reserve team as it used to be, um, and that you know I was interested. I was having a conversation with someone the other day and it was just around the idea that the under twenty threes is probably actually maybe diluting the quality of players that are coming through. What are you what are your thoughts on that? Do you think do you think there's a again we're giving them too much too soon and then recognizing actually actually the, the string that we gave them was too short in the first place? Yeah, I think. The 23s is now obviously changed to the 21s. Yeah. I think we've got, just got to be careful of players who potentially are 21, 22 that's not played a, a league game. That, and then once they are accustomed to potentially playing a certain way in Cat 1s, Cat 2s, academies, and then they do get released and have to filter down, it's a huge shock for them of actually what real football looks like. Not to mention that obviously financially they aren't be able to get the same kind of wages that they're going to get or they have been on. So it's just um, yeah finding that that balance. And I know it's hard because players want to clubs have got loads of players to develop and they're always finding trying to find the the right ones. And obviously financially and the the, um, the funding they get is dependent on on the program. So 
So it's important that they, they have those numbers, but I think that we have to be careful to allow players who may be not going to make it at that certain level and make them accustomed to all kinds of football. There's loads of players that built her out at the age of 21 from Premier League clubs. I mean, we've done a, a this is part of what I've d- done on my research. So 0.012% are playing by 21 from academy football to Premier League. So therein lies most of them are filtering down. And what we don't want or what we would like not to happen is them to leave the game completely. Do you think we've got too many players in the system then? That's it's a, a difficult debate. because obviously every club is trying to is trying to get the best players yeah. available to them, uh, and in some cases clubs are actually taking players that they don't really need or yeah, really yeah. even have a, a, a long term ambition of wanting, yeah. for the sake of other clubs not picking them up. Uh, I, I'm not. I don't. Yeah, I don't think that is. Yeah, but that's that's the power of certain clubs, isn't it? Um, I just think that even if you are within those clubs and you are getting those players, you've got them we the coaches and the club's duty to make them well-rounded so they can have a future in the game. And that's not me to say how they should coach their players, but um, we know the percentages aren't high and if you are having those players you know you can't take them all along and you're coaching them only one way or potentially your way, that may be doing them a disservice. I don't know if that's just debate or opinion that maybe I think perhaps we need to be concentrating on making them being able to adapt to all levels. And then even if we make them well-rounded, they can push on again. But initially, we need to make them able to adapt. If you're playing in the Premier League under 23 club, can they play in League 2? And that, that, that's just the skill of the, the coaches and the club in itself. Oh, definitely. And obviously, you mentioned earlier that you think you know coaching is much more rounded now in terms of the level of detail. Um, and I would I would I would definitely agree with you to a certain extent. But there's also a lot you know a lot of questions around the current you know the standard of coaching. Although that is much more detail involved in it, um, is the general standard of coaching good enough? Is is you know is the standard of coaches working in academies um, dropping over the last couple of years? And that's not to say you know, any one particular person or not. But what what are your thoughts on that? You know, as a statement. Yeah, I think I think a lot of Coaches are going through obviously the coaching badges and, and getting the qualifications, but I, I would encourage coaches, we talk about observations and going to get that experience, which is key, but also developing their soft skills with their coaching, so the communication, the feedback skills, how they interact and build that rapport and that safe environment with players and relating to players is important. Um, so it's not just about X's and O's, it's the, it's the, the softer side and the dealing with people, which is important when you're coaching. And I think that then will help players learn and relate. You know, the other thing where um, players remember how a coach makes them feel. So if the coach, if the, you're making them feel good or feeling them, that, that's how they remember. So it's about implementing those kind of key areas and key skills for them, for the coaches to then enhance obviously the potential of coaching, coaching the players and, and enhancing their development. Let's just build on that a little bit. You know, you're talking about the building those soft skills and, and being able to really have an impact on individuals. Can you think back about your own journey and maybe share with us what you think your your most... the moment where you received your best coaching? Right. Cool. I've got a lot of where I didn't receive the best coaches. <laughs> You know, we can get on to the negatives, but yeah. I really want to start with that positive because I really want yeah, to understand yeah. what, what, what does good coaching look like for you? And in, 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 is that something that you now follow on and deliver in the same way with your players? Yeah, so I had, um, I was in, in, lucky enough to have some, some good coaches. I mean, I had Graham Rich at, at Chelsea when he was in my younger days who wasn't just, um, he was first team coach at the time, but he used to watch obviously a lot of games and because I was left-sided and he was left-sided, he, he used to give me certain tips of of, um, of how to, to manoeuvre and, and get the better of my, my defender 1v1s without dribbling and 
receiving balls and playing away from pressure. But the probably the main one that I remember is Ray, Ray Wilkins of how he made me feel, why he was telling me that information. I remember we had a game at Charlton and we nine one up. We played nine one up. And if you know what you like as a young boy trying to take Libby's in the corner, trying to me and Leo Knight having a nutmeg competition. And I remember he called us after and just said, All right, lads, chaps, you call chaps, all right, chaps. Just a little a little food support. Don't take liberties. Be professional. Don't take liberties. Um, always conduct yourself in the best way yet. We know we're known what, but there's no need to to try and degrade your position. And I thought and I never forgot it. So those those little soft skills as I said, you say with little feedback, nothing tactical. Nothing about exosode or a shape or anything like that, but that little soft kind of knowledge and and, and insight to someone who was obviously well respected and, and one of the nicest people I've met within football. So I've taken that with me all along just to, in about how I coach and how we want how we want our players and coaches to conduct themselves. It's about being professional but being respectful. You know, it's really interesting because obviously, you know, you, you mentioned a couple of names, you know, you, you've had the pleasure of, you know, being coached by um, and also reference that quite a few of them have also been ex-players themselves. What's your thoughts on player on coaches not being coached by ex-players and, and what, what's the general perception there? Because obviously that's, that's it's, a, it's another topic of debate sometimes, isn't it? But whether the, the, the experience that the ex-pro brings to the environment is as yeah. valued, if not as more valued than the coach's experiences, because, you know, you You've come into this now. You're, you know, you've been coaching for a few years now, but there's probably coaches in your club that you're now overseeing the development of. Probably been coaching maybe close to maybe 10, 15, maybe years more than you potentially. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But what, what, how does that, how does that, how does that sit for you as, as, as first of all, head of coaching and understanding, yeah. recognizing the differences there because you've now gone into that head of coaching role when there's people there with different experiences. You know, has there been some challenges that have come with that or? Uh, not as yet. <laughs> I mean, that, that will come, but not, not as yet. I mean, um, as I said, I, I think I, I started this by saying I'll I try to be as honest as I can. Um, the challenges and the experiences, I think it, it's not a huge deal if you haven't played as much, I, I think. As long as you're, you're aware of the intricacies of, of the game, and as I said, relaying that the individuals that you're you're coaching and and that are under trying to trying to transfer that message, I think that's more important than than where you got your knowledge from. It's how you transfer that knowledge. I mean, you could be a, play the international football and still not being able to get that message across to to players. So I, I think it's it's just how you transfer that message and and yes, your knowledge of football should be at a level because we're at a level, but um, you can gain that experience through others, I think, and, and ask questions of how it may look. And with webinars, there's, there's people that, you know, around our club in particular that, that, that I expect, or I would imagine the coaches, if they have any questions to ask us about uh, the development of, of first team or their experience and how they believe that can help them. And, and then it's about what information and how they want to decipher that information to then use in their journey. So I, I don't think it's a huge issue the fact that they haven't played football because everyone, everyone's different. Arsene Wenger didn't play at a huge level. But no, but those are Mourinho, so and they're one of the most successful coaches. By the, by the time that they got to where they got to, they had substantial time as coaches. Yeah. And, they, and you know, even though they didn't necessarily play at high, the highest of levels, they had some experience of playing in a professional game. Therefore, by association, there yeah. could be the perception of right. They've got a good. They've got. They've got an understanding of what it could look like. But yeah. also recognizing that you know, if you use Mourinho as an example, you know he's he's been in around he's been around the environment long enough to really you know pick up some of the experiences. So you know, kind of what you're saying there, it's not about where you've necessarily picked the experiences up from or the knowledge from. It's how you're then able to convey that to to the to the to the recipient of your messages, essentially. Exactly, exactly, and 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 that that key because you're going in. You can't. I don't think. 
from my personal opinion is if they, you're going, you're aiming towards something and you don't know what it looks like or, or it might be perceived like, then you can't really judge and, and really transfer. So to, to gain that kind of experience of what your aim, what the players are aiming towards or coach you're aiming towards, I think that's key. And then, as I said, being able to decipher and convey that information to the system is, is the vital part. Um, because without that, then it's useless. I think you're spot on. So let's, let's talk about that then. You know, obviously you mentioned there were some negative experiences. Was there any messages oh. that were meant to be conveyed to you that maybe just didn't hit the spot? Um, it's more about managing people and, and managing it more than tactical stuff. I think there's always a way you can you can treat people. I mean, I'm never one in a, say you've got a, what a first team. I know you hear rumours and I've been part of it myself where they just pass you aside and you can't go into change rooms and you can't go and you've got to train at separate time. That's just me personally and my personal opinion of, of not how you should treat people because even if he's not your cup of tea or you don't like how he plays or he's not going to be part of your your plans going forward, you still there's still a human human element inside the thing. So um, that's kind of a, a, a key message and, and a negative message that I would try not to do. And, and try and obviously treat people with respect, like a, like Ray Williamson said to me, and humility. And um, yeah, be always humane to people because back then they, they are players, but their family and feelings, and you know that the, the, the story of mental health that's going on now, and it, it can be a huge um, traumatic experience. I know that sounds in a wider audience a bit. Um, over-exaggerated, but it's a passion that you've had since you've been a boy, so then being told that, no, you can't do that, or you're not good enough to do that, it, it's hard to take, and you've got to have some kind of character and resilience to take that, and I think it's a job or the role as a coach to try and ease that, that, that burden on the players. I think you're spot on. I think ultimately what, you know, what, what, what I'm hearing you say there is like, Everything's relative, isn't it? It's all relative, you know. It might it might be in the grand scheme of things in the wider, like I said, the wider audience. It might not seem like a big thing, but actually, this person's whole life has been kind of gravitated around this one goal, this one, yeah. this one outcome of you know, it's going to impact them in ways that maybe we won't understand unless unless we, unless we can put ourselves in their in their shoes. But let, let's let's talk about you know, you mentioned some of the positives, you mentioned some of the negatives. What you know, this is this is an interesting one for me now because it, it, it always gets some different types of responses for this one around bugbears. What's a bugbear of yours when it comes to coaching? Oh, around coaching. So, yeah, the, being prepared, being prepared, um, not willing to adapt. So, right. um, for instance, one of our coaches had three goalkeepers um, recently. <laughs> and uh, yeah, one of the goalkeepers was standing on the sideline and he was right, like rotating them. I was like, can we not find a way to get him involved? And it's just recognising and the ability to adapt maybe your second for maybe numbers and, and things you have. So just, yeah, be prepared and the ability to adapt and change because yeah, that that's the game, isn't it? And that's daily. You could turn up and be prepared for fourteen players and you have nine. How yeah. are you gonna how are you gonna change and adapt and yeah, just just that that kind of ability and, and being prepared for for the session and things that may come within the session. It's quite interesting because obviously you know there's a lot of people that, you know, are set on this idea of no, I have I've planned for this many numbers. Yeah, but the game, like you said, the game is the game is flexible, it's adaptable, it changes all the time, and you know you might have planned for this many numbers, but then where's your guarantee you're going to get that? Yeah. So you're going to be yeah. upset with parents if they play if the kids are sick and they can't come in now. Yeah, exactly. Your whole your whole training session changes, and you've got to do something completely out of topic because you you should be able to adapt and use the necessary. Um, personnel that you have, and as that is going to coach and. To be fair, many of our coaches can and and have been able to adapt and use those numbers and and that's obviously why we're here and our, our full time staff and I'm here to help 
the best way we can to help them with the because they're all on their journeys as well, right? Hundred percent, and I think you're spot on. You know, let's talk about that then. What's you know, we've talked about journey. It's your journey now. Yeah. What's been the biggest biggest challenge you face as a coach coming, you know, leaving from becoming, you know, being a player, moving into coaching? Obviously, at this point now as head of coaching, what's been the biggest yeah. challenge for you? Um, so when I first came into the academy, I was expected in Barcelona. <laughs> yeah, you know, when you first go in, you think, oh, this is the class. Um, my biggest challenge was to not expect them to be able to do certain things and just recognising where they're at and coaching them from there. I think that's, that's the challenge of a, of a coach anyway. The expectations and that, oh, well, you should be able to do that at this stage. Well, why? Why should you? Well, we had, you can't, or they can't. So that's where they are. It's our job to get them further along. So I think that was my biggest um, self-awareness when I when I when I started coaching of the expectation and the levels that I, I thought players should be able to do at a certain age or a certain stage, and just recognizing that no. This is where they're at, and then trying to progress them to what they can do rather than what they can't do. And have you found that you found have you found that difficult for you to maybe get that message across to some of the other coaches as well? Because you know one of the things you do see in Category Three academies a lot is is a high turnover of staff. Yeah. And the coaches coming in probably similar to what you're thinking. Yeah, the players are going to be fantastic. Yeah. And they're, they're, in, they're in an academy, but you know, as you as you well know, it's not always the case. Sometimes you have got players in there that you know let's. I don't mean it's in any any negative or shady way in particular, but they just bog standard players. Yeah, um, yeah, I think um, yeah, the coaches coming in need to recognise the level when they come in. So yes, you might have the same same as me. Um, what we try and do is coach our players on. We've got our own four corner model, and and we pick out the four corner four corner model and 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 have their super strength as their asset and try and enhance that because that's ultimately what got them in the building and what will keep them in the building and keep them progressing and then just try and increment little tweaks on on their, their areas to develop but mainly it's about their super strength and and enhancing that that's that we try not to focus too much on what they can't do so that's the kind of message we we, we give to our our coaches now that focus on their their strength and what's going to keep them in the building and, and get them progress them in the building, and then we'll work on little instances. What I also found is you can the areas developed won't really improve that much to a certain extent. They will, but the strength is what the main thing that we want to have. I think I think it's a great point you make. I, I'm certainly, I certainly agree with that kind of approach of you know they were brought in for a reason, so let's let's let that be the reason they're staying here. Yeah. And anything else just becomes an added bonus, right? Rather than it becoming right, brought them in and around the rest of it, and actually realise that actually they haven't developed this, so now you're going to release them for that. It, it, it always baffles me when when that when that when that does become the situation. So I guess you know look, looking at that specifically. Is it always? For, is it always? Do you think for the coaches and and the club to identify what the super strength is, or how much do you leave up to the player in that respect? Well, we 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 have our kind of individual individual development plans and for the players as well. And when they first come in, we ask them what obviously their key, what they believe their strengths are. So they come in on a, on an eight week trial. We ask them what their their key strengths are. Within the first four weeks, we probably assess and think maybe. That might be a strength or may not be or what we believe maybe it's that then we sit down and have that discussion but it's down to them to whether they believe because obviously if we we try and convince them of what their skill is and what their strengths are and they're not really buying into it it's difficult for them to, to really truly progress and and dictate and dedicate that time to so um yeah that's the key focus but Youth development is different, right? So you could come in as a centre back and not grow, and then end up a centre midfielder, so or a right back, or whatever, or a forward. So it all depends on age and stage, and and where you're at, and that I think that's the key 
to develop taller myself as well going forward by being in this team, being in that, that yeah, someone could be um, really progressing and really developing uh, under 12 and by under 14, 15, that could completely change because of the, the just because of maturation and their body changing. So, as I said, the strength is a strength. We try and focus on that and, and try and to always buy into their kind of ownership and, and as I said, dedication to progress that strength. And if it changes, we'll, we'll let them know within the journey when it could change and what maybe we feel they're in these steps are. I think, I think, I think you're spot on. And you just want to kind of build on that a little bit because you can talk there about LDPs and obviously every club does their, you know, has their process done in slightly different ways. Um, but one thing I've really kind of you know been speaking to a lot of people about recently is is how much clarity is provided by clubs, right? So you know I, I think in in the past I've certainly seen situations where the club will give comments or some sort of guidance, but there isn't that much clarity and it's kind of vague to the point where a you don't know whether you're actually on track now, yeah. But b um, if the message is understood in a particular way and you've kind of worked towards that and it's not quite what the club were looking for or the club were trying to let you down softly, it yeah. also allows the club to be in a position where, actually, this is what we said and you've misunderstood it. It's yeah. still not good enough or this is the reason why you're no longer going to be you know, at the club anymore. And, there's, you know, there's, I think there's a bit, bit too many grey areas in it when, it comes to the, when it comes to that sort of thing. What are your thoughts on that? Difficult. That is one of the most difficult aspects I've had. I've found since I've been here of, of that process. Um, you don't want to be too harsh at times, but you've got to be honest. Um, it's just how, how you convey that message. I think we try and, obviously, we if we're talking about IDPs, we, we have that kind of one focus for them for 12 weeks. So that's clear of that's your focus for 12 weeks. And then, then if it changes, it changes it after 12 weeks. The majority of the time it doesn't because that's the their strength so we have one kind of strength that they, they're working towards and then one area to improve that we just call, we could call them both learning objectives um, and then in our review meetings we try and have those kind of clear messages and where they're at I mean um, we have the PMA um, setting where the players have to comment on their games and their training weeks um, but we've changed that recently because they've had a comment without any basis behind the comment. So, for example, we had boys that were giving themselves a, a 9 out of 10 because they had an assist and scored a goal even though we lost 6-1. But they agreed, their goal was good. So it's just that we, we changed it in terms of having self-fletching based on our core principles. So being fearless in possession and, and how we want to work as a, as a club and our values of our in-possession and out-possession principles and making it mark, marked out of one to five but clear definitions of what those one to five mean. So then there's no kind of grey areas. This is what you believe. And obviously it's still down to subjectivity because they might believe there are four one week and, and we might believe there are two. But then that's open to discussing in the review they have at 12 weeks, but we get an understanding of where they're at rather than them having no basis towards it. No, no I think it's a great point as well, because like I said, you know, for me, I've had a lot of conversations with players and parents and even clubs in particular where parents left this, you know, disillusioned and even players are left disillusioned at times as to, well, I know I've just had my six-week review or my eight-week review and got no idea what I actually need to be doing going forward and you talked there about having learning objectives but you know it, it, would, would you say there's enough clarity provided and you know on what success looks like rather than just saying like we need okay. to see development on xyz yeah. oh that's that's a huge a wider debate of what success might look like for them in that context depends on I think that clarity will not be that clarity will be made in the reviews on on if they have or if we have been seeing success within that learning objective. I think that that's down to the review process and how then they feel and then us coming having a discussion within that. Um, 
a view of, of where they're at or where we believe they're at at the time. I, I, I don't want to, you've got to be diplomatic at time because it's, it's about them being confident to keep the journey and not feeling too much pressure, even though and we're in a pressured industry. But again, it's age and stage. So you don't want to tell it under nine or under 10 that, but you might do it for under 15 and 16. So, um, yeah, it just depends on, on where they're at, I believe, and, and, and where they're at within their journey. You know, speaking of age and stage, obviously now where you are with your journey, having understood the demands of working in an academy, having understood that it's not going to be Barcelona everywhere you step in, having understood, you know, what it looks like, maybe transitioning from a player into a coach and now becoming a head of coaching. If there was a message that you could give yourself right at the start of your coaching journey, what would that be? Oh, oh. So I, 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 I say now, probably you could always take something from everyone, whether it's good or bad or if it's their expert or, or someone in their field or I think you could always take a message and, and have even if it's a, a half a percent of a message or, or a learning from someone I think you can always take a bit of knowledge and try and decipher some information from each situation you're in that's that's what I would say from my, the start don't dismiss anyone don't dismiss anyone is that because that's something that's become more reinforced for you? Or is that, is that something that maybe you would have potentially not have done at the start of your journey? Potentially the second part, I probably would have dismissed a few things and said, that's not for me. That's not for me. I want to do it this way or I see the game going this way. Um, but as you go and you learn and you, you progress, you're older. <laughs> you need everything. You need to take some information. As I said, it's that you, you even... You might not like a certain style of play. There's always a bit you can take from a certain style of play that you can implement in your journey. Or even if you don't, you probably find out how to play against that style or, or use that method. Or if it's, if it's a, a style of coaching or whatever, or, or communication or feedback or whatever, but just try and listen and, and actively listen to the people. And, and, and as I said, don't dismiss people. I think it's spot on. So, you know, Courtney, I'm conscious of time as well. And, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm really, um, you know, first of all, I think there's been a lot of great insights that you've kind of shared with me so far. And, but, you know, just any, you know, there's going to be a few coaches instances from different walks of life, different journeys and different parts of their journeys as well. What would be, you know, your your advice to any coach that listen to this right now? And, you know, if you like, you're able to give them a golden nugget, regardless of where they are in their journeys, building on what you've just said there, because I think that's such a, such a key point around being able to take it, Take something from everything, basically. You know, use it, utilize it, and, and I think it's not just taking, but it's also them trying to apply it as well where possible. What would be your advice to those coaches listening to this now, thinking right? What's one thing that I can take away from 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 Courtney Pitt today that I could probably apply in my journey straight away? What would that be? Keep an open mind. Keep an open mind. That that why why it's always try and improve, but keep an open mind. I know people are, are eager to to learn and progress, but um, being open-minded and, and really, um, as I said, actually listening to people and, and taking that information on board will help in the journey and, and have that. You've got to love what you do. I think it's key as well. I mean, you've got to love what you do. I mean, I love coaching and, and football and wanting to, to, to progress and develop that. That may be the best way to me being intrinsic to try to be the best and, and always improve. But that, I think that's it. I mean, Keep an open mind and, and try and always improve, is what I would say. Awesome, awesome. Courtney, what's next for you then, man? Obviously, Today, reviews. Well. <laughs> 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 no, um, well, yeah, just trying to, trying to get my head around this role and, 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 and learn um, and do the best in this role as I can be going forward. You know, like I said, I've only been in this role for three months now, so um, just trying to, trying to implement some, some ways of thinking and as I said the psychosocial side of it is important and just trying to get coaches to, to not just think about X and O's and the way it looks like on the pitch but really um, being able to relate to players and transfer the information and 
yeah, and as I said, just keep learning myself and trying to to help players and coaches within Burton now and as best I can. And long term, is, is youth development where you see yourself at, or you are you one of the coaches that want to kind of transition and move into the professional game one day? Not it... not right now, not right now. I think I I don't like to look that far ahead. I mean because. We always like to be adaptable. I mean, I didn't expect to be in this role within a few years and it came up and, um, it, yeah, so I wouldn't, I, I think you've got to be in a position to act if the opportunity comes along. Um, but you have to be able to cope with that position if it does come along. So that's why it's important just to keep improving and keep learning and keep self-regulating. To see where you're at, and um, I think myself in the long term, that's the journey. If if a position does come along where I, I feel I'm able to contribute, then then that might um, be something I look into. But I got to put my position, myself in that position first, where I'm able to to do the role justice and learn and improve. Is is the is the mindset right now? Courtney, again, thank you again for your time today. I really appreciate it. Man. I just want to know if there's any way people potentially get in touch with you should they want to find out a little bit more about anything that we've discussed or any uh, anything about your journey in, in more depth. Yeah, you can obviously I've got Twitter. It's CourtneyPitt81 on Twitter and, and on Instagram. You also find me on LinkedIn. And um, if you want to, if any of the coaches want to come and see what we're doing at Burton Albion, get in contact with me. Um, Courtney.pit at BurtonAlbionFC.co.uk. So, anytime you want to pick my brains or come and see what we do, um, yeah, you're more than welcome. Amazing, amazing. Courtney, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it, man. No worries, sir. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.